All right, you can have a seat. Say hi to somebody while you're sitting down. Uh, New Life Kids, you get ready to exit. Miss Brandy is waiting on you for fun and excitement. Fun and excitement squared. Happy Father's Day. Um, if you did, if you didn't already know, there are snacks in the back, and they are for we we said dads or or men. And you know what? There's going to be some left over. So if you're just hungry and want a snack, grab a snack. Before we get started, every Father's Day, just like on Mother's Day, we honor a father of the year. And uh, this year, the person that we're honoring is someone that is is dear to me that has played a personal role in my life. Uh, is is somebody that personifies um, surrender to Holy Spirit, someone that um, has played a, a personal role in me, for me in my life in returning to Jesus, and is uh, a person that uh, serves, I guess the right way to say it is serves with ownership, doesn't just do the minimum, but serves the Lord in each thing he does. The certificate says this is presented in recognition of all the amazing things that make him so very special, his strength, kindness, and generosity, his care and provision for his family, and his heart to see those around him know and experience the love of Christ. So today, will you help me honor the father of the year this year, Jeremy Calhoun. Give me a side hug. <laughs> Y'all don't know that story. I'll tell you, um, before we get started, when I had my encounter with the Lord and my life got turned upside down, one of the first people to minister to me um, soon after was Jeremy. And in, in a small group setting, encouraged me to seek the Lord and would continue to give me encouragement as he worked things out. And he was a, he's, been a, he's been a blessing ever since. Uh, so if you see him, compliment him so he'll feel uncomfortable more. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Uh, it's, real, it's real easy to, to immediately do the cheesy Happy Father's Day. We have a Heavenly Father, Father Tag Church. Like, man, I'm just I'm trying to be real with y'all, but that's what we're going to talk about <laughs> is how good our God is. But... The question that was posed when I sat down with the Lord was, what do fathers do? We celebrate Father's Day, and we, had a, we have a lot of cultural expectations, and um, there's plenty of room to, to um, weave in and out and offend and encourage and do all kinds of things when we ask those questions. But that was the question posed, what do fathers do? And I landed um, on John 14, in uh, John 14, verses 8 and 9, and I'll read that to you. Philip, speaking to Jesus, said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking him, asking me to show him to you? Jesus um, Throughout his ministry, his three years of ministry, often spoke, he's only doing what the Father's doing. 
his um, when he get when he gets when he gets lost there in his childhood, he, he says, well, why didn't you come look for me in my father's house? He has an understanding of who his father is and who he is to his father. And so in asking these things, this is something, these are, these are roles and responsibilities and uh, perspectives that carry down to our natural fathers. So if you're a dad in the room, I encourage you to absorb these things. If you are, if you are looking forward to being a dad at some point, let these register. And we all have fathers. So we can clearly see where these things have been fulfilled or maybe not fulfilled. And we've had, we all have fathers, some who are present and some who are absent. And so I want to be sensitive as we walk through these things. So give me some grace as we talk. I'm not here to tell you you're doing something right or wrong. I'm here to to talk through and see how Jesus modeled the Father. So come with me as we walk through these things. What do fathers do? Fathers do three things. They are by far not the only thing fathers do, but these are three big things. Fathers lead, fathers love, and fathers protect. We're going to look at each one of those in a little bit more detail. Fathers that lead impart identity to their children. And that sounds real sophisticated. But what does that mean? So if we look back at the life of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, when John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus... And the Spirit comes down like a dove. It says right there in verse 17, And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Other translations say, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is an identity statement at a critical point in Christ's life where he receives the fullness or the, the Holy Spirit, which says the, he received the Holy Spirit without measure and began to walk out his ministry. Now, from that point, he goes into the desert for 40 days and doesn't eat. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I like to eat. I don't know if you can tell because I'm so skinny. But an identity statement from the Father, from the Heavenly Father, preceded an important challenge in his life. And so that same, that same treatment is how we, that, that, that is mirrored in our own lives with our own fathers. If you have a, a loving father that is affirming in that love, you understand that you're loved by your father. If your father's absent, you don't know if you're loved by your father. If your father's abusive, you might associate abuse with love and not understand the true love of the heavenly father. It gets convoluted very quickly because fathers play a critical role in defining, in us registering who we are. Because when we start to make I am statements, those are identity statements. Can you say, I am loved? Or are you something else? Do you identify with your work or with your addiction or with your pick a thing? 
Who are you? When you say, I am, what's the after part of that? Fathers help define that. And from that, we view God. That view extends, if you don't, um, or excuse me, your view of, the Father defines you, defines your view of God, and your view of God affects who you think you are. Because if God is someone distant, because maybe your father was distant and didn't affirm you or wasn't personally involved in your life, when we start saying things like, God is your father and you're a son or a daughter, you're left with, well, God must be distant and impersonal. And when you think God is distant and impersonal, you won't pray with any kind of conviction that he wants to answer you. Or like Psalm 18 says, leave his throne and come to where you are when you cry out. Fathers impart identity. Anytime Jesus met a person and ministered to them, he called them child, son, or daughter. He affirmed who they were. He did that to the woman, at uh, which we'll see a little bit later, the woman caught in adultery, who's drug out there. And when he talks to her, he's, in the ESV it says woman. But that's the same word uh, that's used at the wedding of Cana when he talks to his mother. He says woman, respected woman, wife of somebody, daughter of somebody. It was a word that imparted respect in the midst of her shame and embarrassment of what she'd been called in. Jesus affirms who she is and affirms her value to him. Fathers lead and impart identity. The other way fathers lead is they set the tone and example for their families. Fathers model what a godly man should look like. In John 5, verse 19, Jesus, it says, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees his father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. I think it's interesting because we have this, I was thinking through this, and we have, we, I have this understanding like it's a constant looking back, like I see the Lord doing this, therefore I'm going to do this. But I think what the better the better explanation here is that because Jesus, an eternal peace of the Godhead, always had the Father to look at, he only knew one way to be, and that is to be like the Father who is completely good, who is love. And he carried that into his earthly body. Fathers teach, I have daughters. I don't I don't know how to explain, like, there are so many daughters in our life. I have my three uh, biological daughters, but we have so many spiritual daughters. It's just like an ocean of estrogen. (laughs) And I'm appreciating more and more the importance of fatherhood and setting the example for my daughters. It's occurred to me more and more that 
I show my daughters how a man should treat them. I show my daughters what it looks like to be in relationship with Christ. We as fathers show our daughters and our sons what it's like to be a godly man. And I don't say, I hope that, I want to say that so that it registers with you, not in a condemning or guilt trip way, but just in an importance that you, you play a critical role because your children, whether you realize it or not, oftentimes whether I realize it or not, are listening and watching. Even when they are tuned 1,000% in to Cocoa Melon, for those of you that have little children, it's amazing. It happened to me the other day. I was in the kitchen, and the girls were sitting on the couch, and they were watching the show. And I had an Instagram reel come up, and a song that they recognized was on it. Now, if I had told them to get up and clean something, they would have ignored me. They wouldn't have heard a word I said. But they heard the song, and they said, Dad, what are you watching? I was like, I am over here, and you are zoned completely out. Just always on. Ears are always on. So we set the tone. We show them how to follow Jesus. So our primary responsibility in setting the tone and example is, has to be following the Lord. Has to be. The other way we lead is by empowering and by disciplining. Most, most of you would, I, I think we could clearly make the statement that most of the time discipline is a fatherly role. I know without stepping into the weird place of assigning people specific roles about who's in the household, I know that, that typically, at least in our household, even when we mean it, Megan has to tell them more than one time, but when I mean it, and my voice says I mean it, it's once. And I don't know what to, we've, we've had a discussion about it. I was like, I don't know, Megan. I don't know why that if I come back in the room, everybody will choose, make better choices. Uh, and we all have to, we have, I don't like getting up in arms. I want my kids to listen. They're just two, four, and, or two, five, and seven. We're having to learn how to empower them to make better choices and not just discipline them. But I want to point you to a place in Scripture in Matthew 16 where Jesus delivers the truth in love. An example of where he empowers, but he is not afraid to discipline. And they're not connected the empower and the discipline. How do I how do I say this? They don't affect the inherent value. If anything, they reinforce the inherent value. The discipline doesn't mean I'm going to condemn you and you're nothing and you're worthless. And when I empower you, it means you're worthy and awesome and great. Both both, when used properly, the truth in love, reinforce your value. 
So when you're empowered, you're encouraged, you're uplifted because this is who you are and you're walking out and you're doing great. And when you're disciplined, it's that's not who you are. You're not this person that is making these poor choices. You are called to this. So let's, let's let go of the worthless thing or the worthless, blah, 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 worthless things and embrace the true callings God has placed in our life. Does that make sense? So in Matthew 16, you probably know this. This is when um, the Lord reveals to Peter that Jesus is the Messiah. Starting in verse 13, or excuse me, verse 16. Or is it 13? Did I put 13 or 19? We'll just go. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciple, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which, is, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. This is an empowering moment. I identify a lot with Peter because I want to please. And so when I do it right and you give me a cookie, I'm like, yes, my tail's wagging. And so here we see Jesus empowering Peter. That is right, Peter. That was revealed to you by the Father. You're, you're in the vein. You're doing it. You're doing it right. And we, we, I'm going to skip down a bit so I don't just read you a whole chapter of the Bible. We'll go back down to verse 22. And then he goes on to say thing. Then he goes on to tell him, you know, I have to go die. The Son of Man is going to be killed. And then starting in verse 22, it says, But Peter took him aside. <laughs> Peter, man... You've been walking with the Son of God, and you're gonna you're gonna like take you're like Jesus, come here. Let me tell you about how wrong you just were. He does. He takes him aside, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. <laughs> Y'all, anybody in here got anybody in here done that to Jesus? I've done it. I've been like, Lord, this thing right here that's happening. This is not what I wanted. So I'm going to need you to need you get with it. And I'm thankful the Lord has infinite patience. Amen? Uh, it's like four amens in here. Y'all quiet. It's all right. It's sinking in. We're going to make it. Continuing, Peter saying, heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So in the same, we'll say moment, not breath, but in the same moment, Peter is empowered and later chooses wild Peter idea over here. And the Lord says, no, that is dangerously false and brings him back to center. He doesn't say, well, you screwed up. And now everything I said before doesn't count. 
He said, no, come back to my truth. Come back to my truth, not your truth. So fathers empower and discipline, and it revolves around the truth. It revolves around keeping our children anchored to the truth. If you know Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. So that's how fathers lead. They impart identity. They set the tone and example for their families. And they empower and discipline. The fathers also love. And these things aren't occurring independent of one another. You can have a loving, you should have a loving leader. They shouldn't be light switches that come on and off. They should be fruit of your tree that's rooted to the vine of Christ. Fathers display the love of God. We can see this in Jesus' life in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 42, with a man with leprosy. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. Now, lepers, many of you may already know, are unclean. They have gone through a formal process, at least in the Old Testament, to be evaluated by the priest, to go through a period of quarantine and come back and be reevaluated by the priest, and the priest then at the point where they decide that it's leprosy, say you have to be cut off from the community. You cannot come to the community. You can't be a part of the community. You can't participate in the festivals. You are out because we can't spread leprosy. And so social outcast is a light term to describe someone with leprosy in the Old Testament. They are unclean, and anybody that interacts with them is also unclean. If you touch their garment or if you touch them, you are unclean, and you also have to go through a period of quarantine. We can all relate to that in 2022. Anybody was near somebody with COVID, if they're unclean, get in your house, lock your doors. So for him to come to Jesus was inappropriate. To present himself was inappropriate. But yet he comes and kneels in front of Jesus begging to be healed. If you're willing, he said, you can heal me and make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Amen? Lord still healed today? Amen? Amen. He does. Filled with compassion, moved with, moved with compassion for a son, Jesus models the father, knowing who he is and the greater power that's in him and it's in the world, steps out of the traditional and cultural norms and says, yes, I am willing. And came to the man and touched him and prayed for him. How, how many of you know Jesus could have prayed at a distance? Jesus could have said, no, 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 wait over there. Hold on. Be healed. But he needed to impress the Father's love that says, whatever your condition, whatever situation of uncleanliness you find yourself in, you're never too unclean for me to touch and heal. The love of Christ doesn't put conditions 
on God's presence. If you're a certain way, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say if you're a certain, if you're not a X, Y, Z, if you're not punching all the church boxes, well, Lord's not going to sit with you. We might have grown up with that. I know I have uh, recently evaluated it in the, I, I call it a feel-good score uh, about my relationship with God. If I'm checking the boxes, if I'm doing the praying and the reading and the attending and the serving, I feel like God's close to me. And when I don't do those things, the lie creeps in that God's not close to me. Oh, I haven't been doing the things. I've must have, I must have distanced myself with God. But he lives in here. Says so. Says he lives in here. How is he ever far away from me? Also, it says he never leaves me. He never leaves me. He has removed, he has circumcised all of my sin from me. He has made me righteous. And there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. So why do I keep thinking that he is, his, something's changed in our relationship when I don't check the boxes? It doesn't. It's a lie. And when he reveals that lie, he empowers me to come back to the truth. Y'all still with me? Do we need to take a do we need to take a 15 minute stretch break? We're good? Okay. Jesus sees or Jesus models seeing the inherent value and accepting you as you are. Love a loving father is present, physically and emotionally present, easy to connect with. I'm not saying we get it perfect every time. I know that I don't. But it's important for me to engage with my children. And it's becoming more and more apparent that it doesn't matter if I perceive it as something that is productive or meaningful. If my kids want to do a puzzle that, we've, that is a grand total of seven pieces that we've done a thousand times that we will do in five seconds it is still worth being present with them to hear what they have to say, even if that saying is, hey, well, uh, um, what the, uh, is, but I want I, and can't, and just, to, just to be there with them. I can keep talking about them because they're not in service because they're too little. Like later in life, I'm going to have to tame these things. But that's Hazel. She got, she got a thought, and it's going to take her about five minutes to get it out. But to be present and engaged and be able to receive what she has to say because inevitably at bedtime she needs to tell me something it's going to take her five minutes to tell me and then she's going to ask me the same thing she asks me every time is when are we going to go on a ferris wheel and, and i'm like what i don't think we've ever taken you to a ferris wheel you've only seen one on tv probably when are we going to tell when are we going to go on a ferris wheel i don't i don't i don't know in the future hazel Fathers are present. I'm reminded of the prodigal son who, in this same vein of thinking, abandoned everything. Came to his dad and said, you know what? I don't want to be here. Give me your inheritance. I'd like to go. Don't you love that? I'm done with you. I think I can do better. Okay, he said, and out he went. And when he 
spent every dime and burned through every reserve. He was feeding pigs, which was an unclean activity, which is the low of a low of a low of a low for a Jewish son. And he says, well, maybe my dad will hire me as a servant. So he comes back. And what does the father do? The father runs to meet him, runs, and is overjoyed. His, his, connect, his, his connecting emotion is love and compassion that his son's returned. He's not, even re, he's not even remembering or recalling the hurt that was the disconnection. He says, I'm so glad you're back. We're going to have a party. He was present in that moment to receive him in whatever form, unconditionally, and to share his love physically and emotionally. God desires so greatly to be with his children that he sent Jesus. He could have written us off a long time ago, but he desired to connect with us that he sent Jesus to overcome the barrier. We'll go back to Psalm 18. I didn't mean for this to keep connecting to Psalm 18. He heard our cries and came down from heaven. Father's lead, Father's love, and Father's protect. Father's walk with an awareness and sensitivity to the Lord's voice. In Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24, it says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall. For the Lord holds them by the hand. In this instance, we're seeing God the Father acting like a father. And for those of you with children, how many times have you walked with your kid by the hand across a parking lot, ordering their steps so that they don't run out in traffic? And when they do stupid things, you pick them up by that one hand. And you walk them to the sidewalk and set them down, kicking and screaming. So does the Lord. <laughs> I've, I've been carried more than one time when I didn't think that what I was, or I didn't like whatever I was in, and I was probably throwing what I'll call a spiritual temper tantrum. And the Lord's like, that's cool. All right. Let's get over here. Okay, you just, you figure that out. You sit down for a minute. He holds us by the hand and he orders our steps. Jesus walked out the ordered steps. And there's a comfort in understanding that God is going before and behind and above and below and side to side with you. If God is with you, who can be against you? His protection is a lot more about you believing his truth than it is about removing your painful circumstances. I'm going to say that again. God's protection is a whole lot more about you believing his truth than him taking away your painful circumstances. That doesn't mean he doesn't. He does. He heals. He delivers. He works. He does miracles. 
but he wants you to see who you are. He wants you to see that you're a son or a daughter empowered by the king that has, that has drank from the well that will quench all thirst so that you can walk in the strength and power of the Lord even when the entire world is against you, but you don't walk through it like Atlas holding the boulder on his back, on his shoulders. You walk upright in the very presence of the Lord. The truth of who you are and your inherent value and the fact that you have been made right with God shields you. He said in in the psalm, and I I don't remember which one, he says his love is a shield about me. His love is a shield. Oh, there's a lot on that. His love is a shield. God is watching your blind spots. You don't have to strive to work out every contingency. God has ordered your steps. All that he has required is your surrender. Just to say yes to him. And even when we get off track, he holds us by the hand. We can see that in Luke 9, verse 51 through 56. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of that village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? That's my kind of solution. You ever been, don't, don't lie to yourself. Everybody in here has been like, Lord, do we need to call fire down? Because I'm on board. I'm on board right now. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. Aren't you thankful he rebukes you? I'll say amen, amen to that. Amen to that, James. That's a great point. Jesus sees our blind spots. He sees our triggers. He sees what we're prone to do. He sees it when we try to put that old nature back on. He says, no, that's not who you are. Take that off. Put righteousness back on. We'll come back then down to John chapter 8. Where we touched earlier, and the woman caught in adultery. John chapter 8, starting with verse 10. Then Jesus stood up again. After everything had happened, they drug her out there. They said, Hey, we should stone her. Jesus knelt down, drew in the dirt. Part of me wants to think he drew something like, I hate talking to these guys. But one by one, they leave. And then in verse 10, it says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one, one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus protects us by pointing us to our true identity. When you feel condemned... Jesus comes to you and says, who's condemned you? 
And if you respond honestly, it'll probably be something like, well, I've condemned me, or someone else has, or maybe it's the enemy, whatever it is. He said, Who's, who here condemns you? And if you have an honest sit-down with the Lord, you'll look around and go, no one. Because Romans 8 says, therefore, there, are, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he reminds you of the truth of his love to shield you from that lie. And you're able to say, okay, and you're able to get back up and continue life. When Jesus interacts with us in our sin, it's important for us to get that he always just points us back to our true identity. Sin is the small has been dealt with. It's not a, it's not a big deal. Not in the big deal of not living out righteousness, but not in the big deal of forgiveness because he did that. We feel, I'm, I'm including myself in this, lots of times we feel like we've got to grovel. There's got to be some suffering in it. Oh, Lord, I'm going to go put myself in time out, and I'm going to feel bad to make sure that you know I'm serious, and I'm going to sit myself, I heard it put one way, I'm going to sit myself in the dungeon for a little bit. I heard this, this guy telling this story this way, and he's like, Jesus comes down the steps of this dungeon I've put myself in and, like, peeks around the corner, and he's like, you, uh, you done in here? What are you? I'm not down here. Like, whenever you get done, you can come out. Forgiveness has already been accomplished. Repentance looks like embracing who you truly are, which is to put on righteousness. You are right with God. Repentance looks like, thank you, Lord, that you, you've shown me that that's wrong. You've delivered me from the lie. And I'm so thankful that I walk out righteousness, that I'm clothed in righteousness, that I have right standing with you, and I am empowered to walk that out. And that's not who I am. Thank you. There can be joy in repentance. Somebody say amen. <laughs> it feels forced when I do it that way. You can, you can clearly see the theme here. Fathers lead, love, and protect us. And most importantly, the model that Jesus walked out was always affirming who we are. We're not our sin. We're not our circumstances. We are sons and we are daughters. And when you live from that place, you're unstoppable. When you live from that place, you know your prayers are heard. And when you live from that place, you see God transform your entire life. So what I want to say to dads here and to would-be dads, and for those of you who maybe have had a bad experience with your fathers, the Lord wants to set the perfect example. The Lord wants to be your father. And for those of us that are walking out fatherhood or have walked it out, not so great. The answer is not to grit our teeth and to try and change the past. The answer is to yield ourselves to Jesus and let him redeem everything. So to 
fathers young and fathers old, the answer to all of this has always been full yieldedness to Christ and to pursue him. Because when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else is added to you. Everything else is added to you. So I'm going to say, a, I'm going to pray and then we're going to move on. But to the dads here, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for, for being a dad because dads are important. And it gets downplayed a lot. But what you do, how you act, and those moments that you might feel are completely meaningless, when you... <laughs> If you're like me, you might receive a, uh, a piece of art later. And when you receive it with joy, with a smile on your face, that impact is eternal. It's not just right now. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for setting the record straight. Thank you for imparting true identity through Jesus. We submit ourselves, Lord, as, as dads here, we submit ourselves to follow you so that we can walk out that perfect example for our kids. Ironically, the perfect example that fails and repents and fails and repents so they too can know they can come back to you even in their failure. Jesus, I pray that we would, that you would allow each of us to embrace the righteousness you've given us and to walk out the true calling that is fatherhood. In Jesus' name.